Hello, Herstorians. I'm your host, Heather Ashley, and welcome to another episode of Women of Herstory, a podcast dedicated to celebrating women who have made or are making their mark on our society. With me, as always, is your favorite co-host, Whit Buttersby, Cronut, or Brookie. Oh, that's always a good question. Thank you for asking. Yeah. And I hope I, you're doing well. I ask well. the tough ones. Um, Brookie. you're doing well. Um, Brookie. 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 Yeah. Mm-hmm. I used to go to 7-Eleven uh, another lifetime ago, <laughs> and I used to get these, um, the little packages, and they'd be like, I think 99 cents. Oh my gosh. And then I would get two. Oh. Yeah, and in Bargain. Arizona. There you go. Yeah, I was on my way Living to, I was on my way to, uh, to success. an early grave. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what about you? I would go Cronut. Okay. Always yeah. got dare to be different. Dare to be different, you mm-hmm. know. That live life the on the edge. Wow. You know me. thought I was a rebel. <laughs> well, today we are going to be talking about the amazing Jane C. Wright, a.k.a. the mother of chemotherapy. Are you ready? Wapa! Let's get scientific. I like that wapa. Um, oh, is it because I called you whip? Yep. There it is. There we go. <laughs> We're here. We're ready. And we like bookies and cronuts. Quote. Our goals were to bring about a set of standards for a clinical oncology specialty, to enlarge the area of knowledge in the field, and to ensure that vital information was readily available and disseminated. Jane C. Wright was born in Harlem, New York in 1919 during the Harlem Renaissance. The Harlem Renaissance included women like World War II spy and actress Josephine Baker, writer Zora Neale Hurston, and singers like Bessie Smith and Billie Holiday. They were all part of the black celebration of art and culture in uptown Manhattan. That neighborhood was rife with... Oh my god, with talent and Yeah, potential, greatness, Mm -hmm. culture. I love it. Still is. It's funny that you say greatness because Jane was born into greatness. Her father, Lewis Tompkins Wright, was one of the first black graduates of Harvard Medical School. Oh, the bar said hi. Yeah, he was the first African-American doctor appointed to a staff position at a municipal hospital in New York City. In 1929, he became New York City's first black police surgeon and founded the Cancer Research Center at Harlem Hospital. Wow. Her mother, Corinne Cook Wright, was an elementary school teacher, so you know that takes a special kind of person. Absolutely. Her paternal grandfather, Dr. Saya Ketchum Wright, was born into slavery, and after the Civil War, he earned his MD at Mahari Medical College in Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, so the stars were basically were almost aligned for her to succeed. And we're not even it just, done. It, oh, oh. <laughs> Dr. Wright's uncle, Dr. Harold Dadford West, became the first African-American president of Mahari Medical College in Nashville, Tennessee. And, there's an and, her step-grandfather was Dr. William Fletcher Penn, the first black male to graduate from Yale Medical College. Oh, okay, so no pressure. No, no, no pressure at all. Her family just were the first people to do uh, like half of everything in New York City or I guess on the East Coast maybe also Dadford that's great (laughs) that's that's great it's a good name yeah yeah but she was just born into this family that incredible worked so hard that's what that is and was incredibly intelligent and 
didn't take anything at face value. Or for granted. Or for granted. Like, wow. They utilized every facet they had. That wasn't even really available to them because they were the firsts in all of these things. And the time period was not very friendly. (laughs) Yeah, really, really incredible. So that just, like, even even more obstacles to have to overcome. And they did. They just plowed them down. Jane, I guess, had... She had great examples of her life. Jane had a a little bit to... um, work up to maybe yeah uh, hopefully not. hopefully she didn't feel like pressure pressure yeah, yeah. that's hopefully it, is. it was just like mm-hmm. i want to follow in their footsteps right mm-hmm. jane studied at the ethical culture school in manhattan new york before transferring to the fieldston upper school in the bronx okay at fieldston she was the art editor for the yearbook and became captain of the swim team before graduating in 1938 She ended up winning a scholarship to study art at Smith College in Northampton, Massachusetts. Wright began to study art at Smith College before changing her major to pre-med and graduating in 1942 at the recommendation of her father. I know this is definitely, (laughs) I I mean, I've definitely um, felt felt like I had to do a similar path where it was like, I like art and they're like, are you uh, sure you focus like on something a little bit more practical. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's a tough lesson to learn. Early. It is. During World War II, universities and colleges accelerated the process of time it would usually take to earn a bachelor's degree, reducing it to as little as two years in some schools. Whoa. Accelerated two to three year medical programs were initiated as a novel approach to address physician shortages. I guess. This is another example of what we were talking about recently where they were like, oh, all the men are gone. Yes. Yeah. We weren't educating our women. I wonder, (laughs) like, I don't know if I would feel any worse if someone was like, oh, yeah, I finished in like two years because... You know, some there might just be like not filler classes, but like classes that they make you take in addition to your med classes. So mm-hmm. like, this is just very much like here's what you have to know. Yeah. Boom. Or maybe it was it was something that was uh, along the lines of like, um, more hours. Oh man! You like, know, that's even like more maybe daunting. it was just yeah. literally <laughs> like you're doing summer and winter classes. You're yep. not getting you're not getting your semesters off. So when you do that, you can complete things two years earlier if you're doing four semesters a year instead of two. It's interesting you to know? think that. I wish I had thought to look that up of what it actually entailed. World War Two really jump started a lot of a um, lot of programs. Stuff. Yeah, pu- public programs. Speaking and... of the government actually laid out incentives to boost the number of three-year medical schools, along with changed laws aiding licensure for the graduates. Okay. Yeah. Schools like Sarah Lawrence in Bronxville, New York, Mm. Boston University's BAMD program, University of Baltimore, Maryland, and Smith College were all part of the accelerated programs. Okay, I'm glad it wasn't just like a New York thing. It's like a full, you know, a a full front to... um, Assist the these schools to help. Figure it out. To yeah. be like, we have to fill in these gaps. Otherwise, and everyone at home is going to die along yeah. with everyone overseas. So, oh, hmm. yeah, I guess that's the worst case scenario. I mean, that's what I was looking that's, at. That's, 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 that's what it sounds I like. <laughs> yeah, I definitely was coming at it from another angle. But, yeah. you know, it's that's, that's basically the end game. <laughs> I'm all about how you get there. But anyway. 
Jane Wright graduated with honors from New York Medical College in 1945 as part of an accelerated three-year program. Excellent. She was voted vice president of her class, and she interned at Bellevue Hospital in Manhattan, New York from 1945 to 1946, with nine months of that as an assistant resident in internal medicine. Bellevue's still around. Yeah. Mm. Bellevue, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's one of the oldest public hospitals in the United States, and it opened up in 1736 as a six-bedroom infirmary on the second floor of an almshouse. Unsure of what an almshouse is? I was going to ask. Me too. Turns out, it is a public institution established to house sick individuals and individuals from lower-income housing. Okay. That yeah. seems like a good initiative to, like to have That's rolled like, out back then. Absolutely. People were getting sick from diseases we didn't yeah, know about. That were spreading. And they were like, why don't we just house them and take care of them? Yeah. And then when we figure out how we can better their situation, exactly. we will. Mm-hmm. Um, also, there's definitely at least one ghost walking around there. Oh, just saying. At least one. Probably you, you closer to a thousand. You couldn't pay me a month, <laughs> like, a, a, like monetarily to um, spend the night there. No. Really? No. There's oh. no amount of money. There's no form of payment, whether it be would you, monetary would you, or in snacks. Would you? Would you sneak into like an abandoned, rundown hospital? And spend the night? No. Oh, I, I don't even know why I asked no, you that question. At best, I already I'd know sneak it. in. <laughs> but I'd have to not you'd be sneak the, on only the grounds person. and then you'd go away. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Jane completed her residency at Harlem Hospital from 1947 to 1948. At the time of her residency, very little was known about the efficacy of chemotherapy. In the early 1900s, German chemist and Nobel Prize winner Paul Ehrlich set about developing drugs to treat infectious diseases. He was the one who coined the term chemotherapy and defined it as the use of chemicals to treat disease. And that's like so obvious and it never occurred to me like where it came from and why it makes me think of like ufos being unidentified flying objects if you get smacked in the face by something and you don't look at it before you get hit by it you've been hit by a ufo yeah and so but it's been synonymous with this one with with aliens right so i think chemotherapy in particular is synonymous with cancer treatment even though it's really just outright the use of chemicals to treat diseases something about this uh about paul's name made me think of the x-files so once you started talking about (laughs) ufos and aliens i was like oh i'm definitely mentioning this now the segue (laughs) makes way more sense so now that i've said that i feel at peace yeah um but yeah that's interesting though to think about i've never you know we just kind of take these terms maybe not for granted but we don't really know like so much of the history of like where they come from we don't really think too much about it because we don't really encounter it on our day-to-day exactly but yeah i mean unfortunately people shouldn't have to come across the term chemotherapy but it ends up happening and that's unfortunate Mm -hmm. in 1908 he received the nobel prize in physiology or medicine for his contributions to immunology Jane married David D. Jones Jr. That's a good name. 
David D. Jones Jr., detective. Strong. Str- detective. <laughs> or lawyer. Well, he is a lawyer. Uh, a Harvard Law School graduate. Um, they got married while she was still completing her residency. But, right? Doesn't that... That sounds like a name on a detective's door or a lawyer's door. Jones Jr. In my office. Now. <laughs> Boss, what? Those are two separate people. I just didn't do the voice. <laughs> In January of 1949, Dr. Wright was hired as a staff physician with the New York City Public Schools. This position was short-lived as she left the school position to join her father, director of the Cancer Research Foundation at Harlem Hospital, after six months. They began research on potential chemotherapeutic agents. Chemotherapeutic agents are used to directly or indirectly inhibit the uncontrolled growth and rapid increase in the number of cancer cells. Interesting. Cancer sucks. I, I I'm I'm intru- I'm glad we're learning this. Yeah. Or I'm glad it's we're all learning yeah, this. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. Yeah. In the 1940s, chemotherapy was considered a last resort treatment option and was still in the experimental stages of drug development. Because of this, the types of chemotherapy drugs available and their prescribed dosages were not well defined. I'm glad we've come this far. Absolutely. Um, I can only imagine the, the time that they had both developing these drugs mm-hmm. and also the people who were... I mean, I'm sure they didn't initially test them on people. But no, but you it, eventually it have, have so to. so challenging for, you know, uh, those who were taking the medicine right. and then, like, the side effects. Well, because I imagine they didn't have... The, as much all, knowledge. All, and especially all the treatments we have to stave off certain side effects, yeah. like the incredible nausea that comes along with mm-hmm. pumping your body of, of chemicals yeah. to rid, you know, of, of cancer cells. But the people who decided it was worth it, I mean, we can't thank those people enough, Absolutely. right? Because they were willing, you know, to believe in what science could do and what it could offer and knew that these people were just wanting to to do the best they could to help these people we have to believe in science absolutely it's just there's nothing else Mm -hmm. they experimented with the chemical agents on mice with leukemia which crazy that mice can also have leukemia that's that's why i initially said what i said because i was like i think they tested they don't test it on humans first and Mm -hmm. then that made me sad because i was Mm -hmm. like damn yeah Eventually, they did begin the treatments on patients with anti-cancer drugs, seeing them experience some forms of remission. Mm. Working initially with her father, Jane made numerous improvements to chemotherapy treatment. I'm glad she was at the hospital. Um, with her dad? Yes. You know, <laughs> these these sound like uh, they two of the most awesome. efficient doctors in um, Absolutely. all of Manhattan, mm-hmm. <laughs> New York City. <laughs> Jane pioneered in the use of patient tumor biopsies for drug testing against various tumors, and she developed a non-surgical procedure using a catheter to deliver chemotherapy drugs to previously inaccessible tumors in the kidney and the spleen. What what a what a breakthrough. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I can't imagine the applause that they didn't get. You know what I mean? Which is also, like, it's a weird way to word that, and it's kind of unfortunate, but also, like, for something so um, 
crucial, so imperative to be fixed and worked on, Mm -hmm. those groundbreaking steps, I feel like, kind of just get swept under the rug. Mm -hmm. And actually, I mean, maybe not because we're telling her story, but... Mm -hmm. Initially, maybe it's yeah. yeah like I, I would I would have loved a medal or something back then, <laughs> some recognition to be like you you saved lives. <laughs> you for did that years, <laughs> maybe just that even. The two then began testing new chemicals on patients with leukemia and lymphatic cancers. Their inspiration derived from studying victims of mustard gas attacks from the Second World War. Goodness, they found that gas survivors had reduced white blood cell counts. Mm -hmm. In leukemia, there is a rapid increase of numbers of of deadly white blood cells. That's what it was. I knew it was going to... I thought... I I held my tongue earlier. I knew it was something to the effect of the... Um, our our, our cells. I didn't know if it was white or red, Mm -hmm. but the increase... Like, Mm -hmm. um, the rapid increase from leukemia. Well, Jane and her father thought, hmm... Some of the chemicals found in mustard gas might be used as effective treatment. And that's so crazy to, to, to be able to look at, like, the base effect of it, right? To see these people who are exposed to this are coming back with dangerously low white blood cell counts. But our cancer patients have way too many white blood cell counts. So what if we just microdose them? <laughs> I feel like gas. that's very much thinking outside the that's box so because incredible. you would never think like, Mm-mm. you know, we have to take this poisonous, um, <laughs> this, this poisonous material. And yeah, like you said, just Microdose you know, very it. small increments. And then like that, we can see the, the effects. See what can happen. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Brilliant. Jane C. Wright was awarded the Merit Award from Mademoiselle Magazine in 1952. Mademoiselle Magazine. Yes. You would have loved I if have, we could subscribe to it still. I, I would. Be I don't subscribed. know if it's still uh, <laughs> operational, but you would have, or you would have just taken that name. You would have told me you have to call me this from now on. Call me Mademoiselle. And I'm like, can I just say M or Madam? <laughs> The whole thing is long. Mademoiselle was a magazine initially published in 1935 by Street and Smith, a New York publisher who specialized in dime novels, put a pin in that, and comic books. The magazine covered fashion editorials, beauty advice, and op-eds for and by women. Condé Nast, the global media company, quit publishing the magazine in 2001. So, like, really not that long ago. It ran for a long time. That was a, two, that was, that was a lifetime ago. Yeah, that... 20 years yeah. for me right now feels like, uh, yeah, completely yeah. different person. True. <laughs> um, also, you said dime novel, and I you told me to say. put a pin on it. Mm-hmm. Can I unpin that? Unpin it. Okay. You better bet that was another term I was unfamiliar with. So let's go on a little journey. Wait, is it is it something for ten cents or basically, the cost of back basically. then? The first dime novels were initially published around the start of the American Civil War in the mid 1800s. Oh goodness! These stories were full of romance and adventure and became wildly popular in both the United States and in England. In England, they were known as Penny Dreadfuls. <laughs> wow. They were named for their cheap prices, as dime novels were distributed in numerical series at newsstands and dry goods stores for 
a dime or a nickel a piece. Man, that just shows how uncouth we are here. We call them dime novels, like and they them. call them penny dreadfuls. Uh, but see, Come penny on, dreadfuls man. sounds like it's going to be all horror stories. That's only because we're, we associate it with that TV series, Penny Dreadful. True. That True. Penny Dreadful <laughs> sounds like it's it's like it's like darkly funny. Yeah, that's true. I just think escapism is a powerful thing and to make it available for everyone because you know, a nickel and a dime while not nothing during that time was still a lot less than I imagine a lot of publications and full-on books were. Sure. So to be able to purchase things that can help you get through the freaking Civil War, you know, it's it's interesting that already those things were, they were like, we got to get people to like smile and laugh and be in love. <laughs> and look at that. What do they turn to? The freaking arts. <laughs> of course. <laughs> We're on the we're on, we're on the front lines and we get treated like we're the last battalion. Yep. Ridiculous. Yeah. Jane became the director of the Cancer Research Center following her father's death in 1952. She gained recognition in The Crisis, which was the official publication of the NAACP, appearing on the January 1953 cover. Oh, she's she's a boss like that. Yeah, the okay. Crisis Magazine is the official publication, like I said, of the NAACP. It was created in 1910 by renowned historian, civil rights activist, sociologist, and NAACP co-founder W. E. B. Dubois. Oh, that's 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 a that's a high honor. That's a I big would one. say, yeah, mm -hmm. I, I, yeah, mm -hmm. good for her. In 1955, Dr. Wright became an associate professor of surgical research at New York University and director of cancer chemotherapy research at New York University Medical Center. She spent the next four decades at the forefront of chemotherapy research testing therapeutic drugs, comparing responses in patients to laboratory findings, and developing new ways to deliver chemotherapy. In 1964, President Lyndon B. Johnson appointed Dr. Wright to the President's Commission on Heart Disease, Cancer, and Stroke. They recognized her excellency yes. and her capability, her prowess, mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm glad that she didn't go... That her hard work didn't go unnoticed. Yeah, like she was somebody who, thank goodness, was recognized during her life. And LBJ was like, I need you. <laughs> yeah. The commission's report led to the establishment of a national network of treatment centers for the three diseases. She received the Spirit of Achievement Award of the Women's Division of Albert Einstein College of Medicine. That's a mouthful. In 1965. No, that's very impressive, though, yeah, still. amazing. Jane became the first and only woman and the first black person in a group of seven white male cancer physicians to have founded the American Society of Clinical Oncology, the ASCO, in 1964. Wow, that's a story that gets old very fast. <laughs> wow. She was also the first secretary treasurer for the ASCO. I'm sure she was the first of many in her... Um, field and, and in her field and then along the way and that must be it's like on the one hand it's so um empowering to be the first and then at like the other hand it's so 
upsetting well, that like before her there were none. Well, something that's interesting though is that this this society didn't exist. She helped found it. Right. So I think that is a testament to the people, the other people involved, who were like that were like, yes, she's black and she's a woman, but like she's freaking incredible. So I I, I like to imagine that the men she was um, started that organization with, that society with, um, were allies, if not champions, to not even care that she was those things, Or you they know? probably didn't even think of themselves as that and were just like, well, she's a totally class. She's, she's a qualified dame. Right, you know, right. What are we going to do? <laughs> it's the 1960s. Yeah, I don't know I'm why like, they're why talking they like that. Today, ASCO represents 40,000 oncology professionals and is the largest organization of its kind in the world. She was sometimes even referred to as the mother of chemotherapy, a tribute to her early work in the emerging field. Jane was the head of the Cancer Chemotherapy Department and Associate Dean at New York Medical College in 1967. Wright became the highest-ranking black woman at an American medical institution when she was named Professor of Surgery and the head of the Cancer Chemo Department. Wow. Casually, she received the Hadassah Myrtle Wreath Award in 1967 as well. And Smith College, her alma mater, presented her with the Smith Medal, its highest award. I'm glad she's getting that recognition. I know. In 1971, Dr. Jane Wright became the first female president of the New York Cancer Society. Whoa. A few years later, in 1975, she received the American Association for Cancer Research Award. I bet she had to add another shelf to her awards cabinet after this, you know, um, bit because in 1981, Wright received the Otelia Cromwell Award from Smith College. Otelia Cromwell was... Born in Washington, D.C. in 1874. She graduated high school and then taught in the D.C. public schools while taking college courses at Howard University. Cromwell was a lawyer, educator, and journalist that graduated from Smith College with a B.A. in 1900, becoming the college's first black graduate. Incredible. Her most significant scholarly work was a biography of the suffragist and abolitionist Lucretia Mott titled The Life of Lucretia Mott. That's uh, that's such that sounds like it's such impactful work. I know. To have done at the turn of the century. And I'm so glad that Smith College was already like just on it, you know, just like and right winning all these awards is a good example of someone getting their flowers before they pass. Mm-hmm. I wonder if Otelia was part of the Cromwell witches from Halloween Town. I didn't want to say anything just yet. I needed to at least <laughs> take it somewhat serious, but I had that thought when you said Cromwell. Yeah. I was like, is that, isn't that the family She's name? She's amazing, and... though. Like, wow. And I didn't know much about her. I want to do some extra research. Oh, I thought you were talking about Halloween Town. <laughs> Yes, like, I'm talking those, about Marnie. That fam- that's Marnie Cromwell? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's why I said it. Calabar. Yeah, yeah. Calabar's revenge. Yeah, okay. No, but no, right, Jane? <laughs> yeah. That's... Yeah, absolutely. Jane's research and teaching work continued until her official retirement in 1987. <laughs> take a break, Lady G's. <laughs> I know. That's awesome. No, don't take a break, please. There are a lot of lives on the line. <laughs> Your job is very important. In 2010... Wait, no, take a break. We don't want to get you exhausted. I'm sorry. I don't know where I'm at. 
In a 2010 interview, Dr. Wright said, The best advice I ever received was from my father, who told me to never give up the good fight, never fear failure, and to know that to help others in a worthy mission is a noble goal for one's life. I need to hear that from time to time. Uh, mm. f- don't n- no, not, don't not feel to f- failure. Not to fear failure. Yeah. Um, so he sounds like a very um, inspirational, motivational person in yeah. her life, and I'm glad that she had that. Absolutely. In recognition of her contribution to research on cancer chemotherapy, ASCO and the Conquer Cancer Foundation established the Jane C. Wright M.D. Young Investigator Award in 2011. Jane C. Wright died on February 19, 2013, at the age of 93, though some say 94, in Gutenberg, New Jersey. She she lived for she, I know so long. And she worked so hard. I hope I get to I hope I get to live to. I don't know. I feel like she accomplished so much, mm-hmm. and so I'm glad someone like her. Had a long, long life. Had a long, <laughs> long life because with the amount of work she put in, she deserved to hopefully see, get some rest yeah. and see the fruits of her labor exactly. in her later years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, she's a very yeah. deserving individual. She was preceded in death by her husband, David Dallas Jones Jr., and is survived by her daughters, Allison Jones, Ph.D., and Jane Jones, M.D., oh. and his sister, Barbara Wright Pierce. So they, they all took just, up the yes, they took the they reins. Just followed. We got it from here, Mom. <laughs> That's really nice. And I'm gonna leave you guys with this quote: "Coming together as a group, we could improve the quality of care because knowledge is power, and sharing information among ourselves would give the greatest chance of increasing awareness and saving lives." Jane Jane was a strong, selfless woman. Absolutely, and. Um, it helped that she had such influential um, people in her life to mm-hmm. help set her path to, you know, one of success, one of um, strength, because it took a lot of strength to do as much work as she did in that field, to be to obtain a number of firsts, mm-hmm. um, to live as long as she did, to create a family in which mm-hmm. two of her daughters were in the me- you know worked in the medical work in the medical field mm-hmm. um you know that comes from a um a, strong a, base power of just knowing who you are she was confident yeah that's the other thing too self-confidence because mm-hmm. you have to have a lot of self-confidence to do what she did mm-hmm. to not back down mm-hmm. um you know, to still live your life. She still got married. She still had a family. Yeah. So to, you know, imagine. So that, oh my gosh, that didn't even, that conversation didn't even cross my mind to think about people being like, oh, women can't have a family and also incredible careers. She's out here with like she two daughters, children. a long-term yeah. marriage, mm-hmm. like s- making this. The head this, of every cancer oh foundation. I don't and, even understand. You know, yeah. Like. <laughs> She totally, it, it's it's really, she must al- have, like, it's she, always laughable when people are like, oh, you know, you, you can't, you can't juggle, you can't do like th- this and a family or like you can only be like a family person. Mm-hmm. And I guess maybe hopefully now that idea has died down, but you know, we have a whole bunch of sports yeah. players. It's all about balance. Who do that. And you know, they say it takes a village and I think so having 
like people people in your life who believe in you and believe in your work and believe in what you're doing and saying like you can do this mm-hmm. and we believe in you and we believe that your mission in life is worthy and that means that that can mean both being a mother and being the mother of chemotherapy it can mean a, a bunch of things it doesn't have to just be one hat i think so many times people think that as soon as you enter you know motherhood you have to abandon every other part of yourself which isn't going to make you a good mother because you're not able to be you yeah. you've been stripped of your own title of a as a human in your own self and so i think to be able to, i think that's maybe what is so incredible is that she was able to follow in her father's footsteps if she because she you know wanted to and, she chose and saw, it yeah she chose and she knew and, mm-hmm. that that's what she and wanted i love that um our <laughs> detective david d jones no he was a lawyer but you know he was obviously supportive in that facet in being like yeah do it the important do thing it. is that she chose like i said because you mm-hmm. don't it shouldn't be dictated no it should not be dictated for women. It should just be they choose whatever they want because men have always chosen to do whatever they want mm-hmm. and with little to no repercussion. Right. You know, and mm-hmm. then they become like deadbeat husbands and then, you know, <laughs> or not even deadbeat, but just like maybe negligent, uninvolved. maybe just not there. Yeah, right, just exactly. Uninvolved, especially then, during that time, during the 60s. That was like. Oh, I remember right the sixties. <laughs> we were there. Oh yeah, Woodstock. <laughs> That's it. Oh. Counterculture revolution, man. Oh. Anyway. <laughs> Thank you, historians, for coming back week after week. Subscribe, follow, tell the Parks and Rec team at your local park. Come back this Friday for an interview with writer, director, producer, Maria Diane Ventura. In this interview, she talks about her newest film titled Your Color that was recently released on July 15th on Amazon and Amazon Prime. Oh, big deal. Uh That's cool. There's a lot of really incredible stuff surrounding this film. A lot of it was it was shot in Germany. It's really great. Um, So make sure you guys tune in for that one. In the meantime, you can follow us on our social media. Instagram at Women of Her Story Podcast. Twitter. At the Her Story Pod. TikTok. At Women of Her Story. Facebook. Women of Her Story. <laughs> and you can always visit our website at ofherstory.com backslash whip. <laughs> Until this Friday, be safe, stay healthy, and show the world what you're made of. Bye, everybody. Bye, summer. Hello, fall. Woo.